You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library Podcast. There's practically no limit to what you can learn and see when you belong to the Livingston Library. From science and technology to grants and genealogy, our library is virtually an information galaxy. This library is yours and this library is mine. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the May 2022 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library podcast. I'm Joe, one of the librarians in our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department and host of the show. In this episode, Jessica will tell us about what hot new books are coming to the library in May. Archana will tell us about some of the exciting programs we have scheduled this month. Hong Mei will share another special song, and the crew will share some of our favorite books, films, and songs about motherhood in celebration of Mother's Day. But first, I want to talk about something a lot of people have been talking about in library land lately, and that is censorship. Perhaps you've heard all the news stories about politicians and parents working to ban all kinds of books from school libraries and public libraries, books like and 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 certainly It seems as if a lot, if not most of these books getting challenged, tend to be about a select few topics, such as... And... And... I've been following these stories fairly closely because, obviously, I'm a public librarian. But, in case you didn't know, I also happen to identify as... And... And a lot of the books that are getting challenged or even banned are exactly the kinds of books that I wish had been available in libraries when I was a kid, back when topics like simply weren't talked about at all. And so, as I grew up, any time that I thought I might be I ended up telling myself that I was crazy and wrong, and it caused me to feel a ton of terrible, terrible feelings that stayed with me well into my adulthood. And I can't help but think that if I had access to books, which told me that being wasn't crazy or wrong, that millions of other good, decent people around the world were also well, then it might have saved me a decade or two of feeling pretty rotten about myself. So to any parents or caregivers out there who are concerned that books about are not appropriate for their children, well, you're certainly entitled to that opinion. I just hope you understand that there are plenty of other children who aren't yours for whom books about are totally appropriate. And that's true whether or not those kids are wondering if they identify as or as a librarian who also happens to be. I would never force someone else's child to read a book about or even think a certain way about. All I want is for patrons of my library to have the opportunity to read about if they want to. Of course, Books about and and are not the only ones being censored. And censorship does not only refer to books being actively removed from libraries. Censorship is not just something that people of a particular political persuasion or who live in certain parts of the country do. Censorship 
can be a librarian refusing to display or even acquire certain books in the first place because they don't agree with their content. I've seen this kind of censorship with my own eyes by librarians in communities not unlike our own. I've walked into libraries where all the books on display seem to share the point of view of the librarians who curated them rather than the diversity of thought that actually exists in the world today. I've tried to help patrons find books that aim to challenge certain popular ideas using good faith arguments and intellectually honest research. And it turns out that there are often very few, if any, of those kinds of books to be found in all the collections in our Buckles Consortium. I did happen to notice recently, though, that as I was walking through our library uh, earlier this week, that we were displaying a book called by now this is a book that from what i can tell challenges a lot of things i consider to be true some people might even consider much of the content in this book to be harmful or offensive or outright false but i have to admit in spite of all that i was kind of happy to see this book on display in our library it reassured me that our library can be a bastion of intellectual freedom where people can choose to read a true diversity of viewpoints and come to their own conclusions about them. It reminded me of something I read not too long ago in a book called Book Banning in 21st Century America, written by Emily Knox, where she was citing John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, and Knox summed up some of Mill's core arguments about freedom of expression like this. Mill offers four grounds for the freedom of expression. First, that some oppressed opinions may be true. Second, that such opinions, even if they are false, may hold some grain of truth. Next, that truth must be contested or it is simply prejudiced opinion. And finally, that one's truths must be held with conviction from both reason and personal experience. Now, personally, as me, Joe, I try to keep all those ideas in mind when I'm making decisions about what books I choose to display and acquire in my work as a librarian. Actually, seeing that other book I mentioned a minute ago that by on display in our library, it also reminded me that a few weeks ago I declined to order a new book, which is called that was written by who, of course, is one of the most famous American writers of the last 50 years or so. And I like to think that I chose not to order it for our library, not because I didn't agree with its content, but because I didn't think it would be of interest to our patrons. But then, just a few days ago, I saw that this exact book was, in fact, on the New York Times bestseller list. So I realized I was wrong. And I went back to our book vendor's website, and I ordered that book. And if in the future I see any books that attempt to argue why people like myself are crazy or wrong, well, maybe I might order that book too, because I never want to feel as if someone else's ideas are a legitimate threat to my own. If my ideas are in fact correct, then I'll be able to defend them. And if my ideas are not correct, well, I like to think I won't be afraid to stand corrected. And now, back again to tell us about some of the most exciting new books headed our way in May. Here's the interim head of the Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, Jessica. 
Are you looking forward to new spring books to add to your to-read list? Here's a sneak peek of what titles will be hitting our library shelves this May. Please note descriptions are taken from the publisher. 22 Seconds by James Patterson, May 2nd. 22 seconds until Lindsay Boxer loses her badge or her life. Homewreckers by Mary Kay Andrews, May 3rd. Summer begins with Mary Kay Andrews and this delightful summer read about flipping houses and finding true love. Book Lovers by Emily Henry, May 3rd. An insightful, delightful new novel from the number one New York Times bestselling author of Beach Read and People We Meet on Vacation. One Summer, Two Rivals, a plot twist they didn't see coming. Summer Love by Nancy Thayer, May 3rd. Old secrets come to light when four friends gather on Nantucket for a life-changing reunion in the in this heartwarming novel of love and self-discovery by New York Times bestselling author Nancy Thayer. Killing the Killers by Bill O'Reilly, May 3rd. In the 11th book of the multi-million selling Killing series, Bill O'Reilly and Martin Duggard reveal the startling dramatic story of the global war against terrorists. How to Prevent the Next Pandemic by Bill Gates, May 3rd. From the author of the number one New York Times bestselling, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, the COVID-19 pandemic isn't over. But even as governments around the world strive to put it behind us, they're also starting to talk about what happens next. How can we prevent a new pandemic from killing millions of people and devastating the global economy? Can we even hope to accomplish this? The Lioness by Chris Bojalian, May 10th. A luxurious African safari turns deadly for a Hollywood starlet and her entourage in this riveting historical thriller from New York Times bestselling author of The Flight Attendant. The Summer Place by Jennifer Weiner, May 10th. At her stepdaughter's marriage to her pandemic boyfriend, the last gathering at the family's beach house in Cape Cod, Sarah is faced with lovers being revealed as their true selves, misunderstandings and secrets, ensuring that nothing will ever be the same. This Time Tomorrow by Emma Straub, May 17th. With her celebrated humor, insight, and heart, beloved New York Times bestseller Emma Straub offers her own twist on traditional time travel tropes and a different kind of love story. Which of these titles are you looking forward to reading the most? We can't wait to see you at the library picking them up. See you soon. Bye. Thanks so much, Jessica. Now, of course, the library isn't just about books. We also have so many wonderful programs on our May calendar, and here to tell us about some of those, here's Archana. Hi, podcast listeners. May is here, and so is the scent of spring flowers and nature in vivid bloom. Here are some in-person programs coming up in May for your consideration. On Monday, May 2nd at 7 p.m., we present Mothers of Invention by a professional storyteller and independent historian, Carol Simon Levine, who specializes in telling the stories of fascinating women history forgot through first-person portrayals. Here, Carol will portray Lillian Moller Gilbert, a motion study pioneer and a cheaper by the dozen New Jersey mother of 12. And she'll then share the stories of many other overlooked women innovators. From Margaret Knight, the 19th century female Edison, to Hollywood superstar Hedy Lamarr, these mothers of invention changed our lives, yet their accomplishments were all too often ignored, discounted, or credited to others. And in this program, presented a few days before Mother's Day, Carol will shed light on these unsung heroines. 
The second program on May 9th has to do with the geological wonder and one of the most famous waterfalls in the world, and that is the Niagara Falls. Straddling the border between the United States and Canada, it has been a popular tourist attraction for over 200 years, as well as a major source of hydroelectric power. In the program, Niagara, the Falls and the River, presented at 7 p.m., you will explore the history of the Niagara Falls region, from Native American legends to modern-day parks and attractions, with author and photographer Kevin Weiss. Meet the area's explorers and settlers, the daredevils who risked their lives for fame or fortune, the businessmen who harnessed the falls' power, and the conservationists and visionaries who saved the falls for generations of visitors. The hour-long slideshow is illustrated with original photographs and historic images. The best time to visit Niagara Falls is June to August, so this will give you a chance to learn about this famous natural wonder before you plan a visit there. Now, for more than 100 years, diners have played an important role in New Jersey's history as gathering places for a community. On the evening of May 23rd at 7 p.m., join speaker and author Michael Gabriel as he presents a program on his book, sharing stories he has documented about the diner capital of the world. Diner experiences, good food, slice of life encounters with friends and strangers, and the memories they inspire all reflect the state's spirit, culture, and mythology. Many tales are snapshots of the immigrant experience, people who have traveled to New Jersey from faraway countries to gain a foothold as American citizens. Stories in the book that Gabriel will share include memories of late-night eats during Wildwood's wild rock and roll days of the 1950s, an entrepreneur who traveled 8,000 miles from India and opened a diner in the Pine Barrens, first-person remembrances from Newark's famous long-gone Wequahic diner, and a frantic impromptu midnight wedding ceremony held in an Elizabeth lunch wagon in 1906. We look forward to seeing you at these exciting library presentations in May. Thank you. Thank you, Archana. Speaking of programs, I want to tell you about the next film in our classic movie Tuesdays series. Starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, May 24th, we will be showing Stanley Kubrick's 1957 film Paths of Glory on the big screen in our program room. Since the publication of the book 25 years ago, no one dared to make this movie. It was too shocking, too frank. Colonel, your regiment is going to take the anthill tomorrow. It's the key to the whole German position in this sector. More than half my men will be killed. Yes, it's a terrible price to pay, Colonel. But we will have the anthill. The troops are mutinying, refusing to advance. Order 75 to commence firing in our own positions. This is a general court-martial. These men are charged with cowardice in the face of the enemy. Those little sweethearts won't face German bullets, they'll face French ones! Is it true that you've been designated a coward simply and purely because you drew a slip of paper marked X? Yes, sir. To find these men guilty would be a crime to haunt each of you to the day you die. Therefore, I humbly beg you, show mercy to these men. 
So May is, of course, the month where we observe Memorial Day in order to remember those who have sacrificed their lives in war. And I believe that this film does a very powerful job in making us really think about what that can mean. Personally, Stanley Kubrick is probably my favorite film director ever, and Paths of Glory is certainly a perfect example of why. It's both visually striking and philosophically profound, and it features an all-time great performance by Kirk Douglas, who, of course, went on to work with Kubrick again a few years later in the film Spartacus. The film has almost universal acclaim. The critical consensus, according to Rotten Tomatoes, says that Paths of Glory is, quote, a transcendentally humane war movie from Stanley Kubrick with impressive protracted battle sequences and a knockout ending. The film was also deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry in 1992. Pats of Glory runs one hour and 28 minutes. It'll be screened with subtitles for the hard of hearing. And again, we'll be screening it starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday evening, May 24th, in our program room, and no registration is required. Well, with spring in full swing, of course, that means baseball season is here. And with that in mind, it's that part of the show where Hung Mei joins us to share a special song. Hung Mei? Today I'm going to share with you a classic song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game by Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly. I'm sure this song will bring you back to the old memories. Thank you for sharing that, Hong Mei. Now, May, of course, is a month full of many holidays and observances, and one of those, of course, is Mother's Day. So with that in mind, this month, I thought I'd ask the crew if they have any particular favorite books, films, or songs about mothers or motherhood. Here's what they had to say, starting with Jessica. Hello, L-Town Radio listeners. May is a time to celebrate mothers, grandmothers, and all those who have touched our lives in a maternal way. My favorite books for Mother's Day are the nonfiction Chickwit series written by famous mystery writer Lisa Scottolini and her daughter Francesca Saratella. These books are short collections of essays written by the mother-daughter duo and focus on life, current events, pets, and the relationship of mothers, daughters, and grandmothers. Titles include Does This Beach Make Me Look Fat? I've Got Sands in All the Wrong Places, Best Friends and Occasional Enemies, The Lighter Side of life as mother and daughter. Have a nice guilt trip. I see life through rosé colored glasses. I need a lifeguard everywhere but the pool. Meet me at the emotional baggage claim. My nest isn't empty. I just have more closet space and more. They are literally laugh out loud funny and so very relatable. A treat to share and read with your mother or grandmother this month. Thank you, Jessica. And I have to say those are some of the best book titles I've ever heard in my life. Anyway, next to tell us her answer, once again, here's Archana. My pick for a compelling story about motherhood is a Hindi language film released in 2015 called Nil Bate Sanata. 
It literally means zero divided by zero equals nothing, or it's a slang for good for nothing. This drama is a heartwarming tale of a high school dropout household maid who enrolls herself in her 15-year-old daughter's school to make sure she studies diligently since she strongly believes education will help her daughter rise above their poor socioeconomic status. Though Chanda, the mother, wants her daughter Apeksha to study hard, the teenager is indifferent towards her studies and fatalistic about her prospects. She feels she too will end up being a maid as a mother cannot afford to pay for higher education anyway. She struggles in mathematics alongside her friends. So the mother Chanda enrolls in the school in order to teach, in order to learn math and tutor her daughter herself. She becomes better at math than her daughter, leading to more resentment. Chanda befriends her classmates and impresses the teachers with her steady progress. This embarrasses the daughter and she continuously ridicules her mother. The story progresses along, but one fine day, the daughter realizes the extent of her mother's sacrifices and starts studying diligently, passing her 10th grade examination with flying colors. And in the end, we see her being interviewed for the Indian Administrative Services Caterer. After being asked what inspired her to apply for this, she answers that she's inspired by a mother who struggled through several menial jobs over the course of her life and who now tutors struggling math students for free. So this is a movie both about the mother-daughter bond, how far a mother can go in the interest of a daughter's well-being. And it is also about a person's right to dream and change their lives, irrespective of social status. What's more, this engaging movie is available to borrow in the Livingston Library's Bollywood collection. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Archana. And up next, once again, here's Hong Mei. Mother love is deep, all-accepting, and supportive love. On Mother's Day, we thank our mom for being someone we could always look up to. Today, I'm going to share with you a song, Love You, Mama. This is a song Farron dedicated to his mom. Let us always remember the love our mom gives to us. For every dark night, yes, the sun go and shine. It's not hard to tell, there's no mama like mine. I know when you're around, everything will be fun. I am gonna love you till the end of time. You know why? Cause you're my mama. Mama, my one and only mama. Mama, take away my drama. Drama, there will be nobody in my life just like you. My childhood was cool thanks to dad and you. I remember riding bikes down the avenue. That's why I couldn't wait to get picked up from school. Soon as I see that smile puts me in a mood. I wanna tell the whole world about you. About you. Thank you, Hong Mei. That was a very delightful song. Again, it is called Love You Mama by Farron. And you can find it in its entirety on the Royalty Families channel over on YouTube. Now, as for me, well, one of my favorite movies ever is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which is certainly a film about a very powerful mother-son relationship. But of course, that's not at all in the spirit of this segment. So my real answer is the 1942 children's book, The Runaway Bunny. 
written by Margaret Wise Brown and illustrated by Clement Hurd, H-U-R-D, which is also the team behind Goodnight Moon and many other classic books. The Runaway Bunny, if you don't already know, is a story about a mischievous little rabbit who keeps telling his mother the various ways he plans to run away from her, such as by turning into a fish or a bird or a boat, but the mother keeps responding by telling her son the various ways that she would transform in order to find him again. Now, I can't remember if I ever read this book as a child, but I do know it was a very special book for my wife and her mother, and now that my wife and I have a child of our own, it's become a very special book for all of us, too. We must have read it to our daughter a dozen times in the first year of her life so far, and well, I'm sure we'll read it dozens, if not hundreds, times more. And while I'm not a mother, per se, each time I've read this book, I can feel it resonate so profoundly with the way I feel just as a parent, how I would do anything, even bend the laws of nature, just to make sure my daughter is safe and by my side. Even though I know that a lot of times she's just going to want to run off and break free and be on her own, and that's okay. Not only does this book tug on my heartstrings, it's also occasionally very funny, and the artwork is so lovely, the way it alternates between black and white and these fantastic two-page color spreads. Again, the title is The Runaway Bunny. It's written by Margaret Wise Brown and illustrated by Clement Hurd, and you can borrow a copy of it here in our collection or through the Buckles Consortium. We are almost out of time, but before we wrap up, I want to tell you about the next meeting of our Unstuck in Time book club, where we discuss works of classic and modern speculative fiction. It will be held virtually through Zoom starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday evening, May 31st, and our topic that night will be the 2020 novel The City We Became, written by best-selling author and three-time Hugo Award winner N.K. Jemisin. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I have yet to read any of Jemison's books, considering she's one of the biggest names in fantasy fiction today. Pulitzer Prize finalist and one of my favorite authors, Kelly Link, says Jemison is, quote, an absolute master. John Scalzi calls N.K. Jemison arguably the most important speculative writer of her generation. And similarly, the New York Times wrote that she is, quote, the most celebrated science fiction and fantasy writer of her generation. And Wired said she is the quote, finest writer of the fantastic in our time. Vulture gets positively metaphorical in their praise, saying, quote, Jemison's phenomenal success has been something like an earthquake ripping through the traditional order of fantasy itself. Yeah, so with all that praise, I figured it was long overdue for me to read some N.K. Jemison, and this book, The City We Became, was especially intriguing to me. Here's how the publisher describes it. It's a Revolutionary story of culture, magic, and myths in contemporary New York City. In Manhattan, a young grad student gets off the train and realizes he doesn't remember who he is, where he's from, or even his own name. But he can sense the beating heart of the city, see its history, and feel its power. In the Bronx, a Lenape gallery director discovers strange graffiti scattered throughout the city, so beautiful and powerful, it's as if the paint is literally calling to her. In Brooklyn, a politician and mother finds she can hear the songs of her city pulsing to the beat of her Louboutin heels. 
and they're not the only ones. Every great city has a soul. Some are ancient as myths, and others are as new and destructive as children. New York City? She's got six. Now, I lived in New York City for 18 years. I, I think this is a brilliant premise, and I'm very curious to see its soul portrayed in this way. Plus, Another one of my favorite authors, Neil Gaiman, who also wrote the book Stardust, which we discussed at last month's Unstuck in Time meeting, he says of the city we became that, quote, it's a glorious fantasy set in that most imaginary of cities, New York. It's inclusive in all the best ways and manages to contain both Borges and Lovecraft in its fabric, but the unique voice and viewpoint are Jemison's alone. Again, the meeting is going to start at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, May 31st, and it will be held on Zoom. So if you'd like to join, do make sure you register through our events calendar so you'll be able to get that Zoom link the day before the meeting. You can check out print copies of the book by stopping at our circulation desk here at the library, or you can also check out ebook or audiobook editions using your Livingston Library card on Overdrive in Libby. Well... We have come to the end of this episode of L-Town Radio. Thanks to Jessica, Hongmei, and Archana for all your contributions this month. And of course, thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. And of course, I hope you'll visit us as we are open seven days a week for all your library needs. Of course, you can still access all our online and digital resources any time of day through our website, livingstonlibrary.org. Don't forget to follow our blog at blog.livingstonlibrary.org and you can follow us all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify where you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, and stay curious. <laughs>